never remain free if they are not willing, if need be, to fight for their vital interests. In this present crisis, government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. Praise Yahweh and pass the ammunition. Restoration Hour with Pastor Eli James. Well, 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 here we are in the midst of the COVID lockdown, although Many states have now lifted the restrictions, although the Canadian convoy episode is still going on. Nevertheless, uh, across the world, governments are suspending the COVID lockdowns and COVID mandates uh, because, uh, apparently, because of lawsuits slowing down the operations of government. And uh, it's untenable now. So it's very interesting whether or not the the pharmaceutical companies can continue to impose all of these vaccine mandates. And uh, it looks like it's falling apart, but we'll see. That's another story. <laughs> Tonight, we're going to be talking about the 14th Amendment again and uh, how uh, Mr. Ed Art, who filed this brief in 1986, March 28, 1986, Challenge the legitimacy of the 14th Amendment. And hello, everybody. Yeah, yeah. Lawsuits are, are, lawsuits are in order for once in, a, in our lives. Lawsuits are in order. We need to bog the system down, slow down the behemoth of COVID and all of the illegal mandates that have been following on the heels of COVID. It's all fake, of course, folks. 100% fake. No business. There is no such disease as COVID. Uh, there's no reason to uh, lock people down, to shut all these businesses down, but that's the design of the New World Order, or I should say the Jew World Order, headed by the Rothschilds, to punish white people around the world for being white. That's all that uh, this whole fiasco is about. So welcome everybody, uh, Lillian Spoiler and uh, clan uh, of chatting, thank you. So I'm going to continue uh, with this document here, and uh, I'm going to give a little bit uh, preliminary uh, discussion as well. First of all, this is uh, the United States of America versus Edward J. Arlt at Al, which I believe includes his wife. I'm not sure if anybody else is included. In the United States District Court for the Northern District of Texas, Fort Worth Division, Supplemental Memorandum on Classes of Citizenship in Support of the Accused's Request for Judicial Notice of Citizenship. So, what uh, Mr. Arlt establishes here in this brief is that you have to be a free white person in order to be a citizen of a state and therefore a citizen of the United States of America as understood when the United States of America were conceived and created by the U.S. Constitution. So anybody else who is not a free white person cannot be a citizen of a state, cannot be a citizen of the collective known as the United States. However, the 14th Amendment 
was composed in a sleight-of-hand fashion to overthrow that understanding. And uh, in our first three episodes on this subject, we quoted numerous documents as quoted by Mr. Arlt himself in his brief. By the way, this was filed March 28, 1986 in uh, Fort Worth District Court, Northern District of Texas, Nancy Hall Doherty Clerk. Okay, so civil civil number CA four eighty five B eighteen K. All right, so that's all the numbers. If you want to look this up, uh, nevertheless, I have a print copy of it, and uh, it's also available online, I believe. But let me just quickly read the Fourteenth Amendment, which states section one. Section there's several sections. Uh, section one is the only one that gives the definition of a citizen. Uh, Section 2 and Section 3 purport to define representatives. But Section 1, 14th Amendment, reads as follows. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Now, what does that mean? Subject to the jurisdiction thereof. Well, the fact is, only free white persons were subject to the jurisdiction of the United States, at least up until this point in time. And if you weren't born in the United States in a state, in a particular state, you could not be a citizen of that state unless you were a white person, okay? And subject to the just jurisdiction thereof. So the language they're using here, all persons born or naturalized in the United States... Uh, broadens the concept of United States by not by not including the definition of free white person within it. So what they're saying is any slave or manumitted slave now born in the United States and uh, subject to the di- jurisdiction thereof, yeah, the, uh, uh, a freed slave would be subject to the jurisdiction of, but not a free white person are citizens of the United States. Okay, what they're talking about is they're citizens actually of the District of Columbia, not the state citizens of the several states. So they're just proclaiming here that that these persons born after this amendment was given, given but not ratified, given but not ratified. Yes, that's the case. It was never ratified, folks are suddenly citizens of the United States and of the citizen wherein they reside. But it doesn't say anything about them having the right to vote. So really what they are doing is creating a subclass of citizen, actually denizen, because they don't have the right to vote. And uh, But what they did was they applied this 14th Amendment not just to black people and others, non-whites, they began to apply this legalese to free white persons from this point forward. However, it took them 100 years before blacks got the right to vote, so it was obviously not uh, effective when it was immediately given. Continuing, no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Okay, well, fair enough. That depends on who the citizen is, right? Is it a free white person of a particular state? 
nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Fair enough. Again, the definition of what a state citizen is is not it's not really challenged by the 14th at all. Nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now, interestingly enough, even a denizen, that is a non-citizen or a sojourner, a person happening to reside in a particular state for business purposes or you know, f- visiting family, whatever, that, that person who is not a citizen of that state, nevertheless is entitled to fair play by the state government, by the federal government, by the citizens of that state, etc., etc. So, yeah, the, everybody's ado- you know, given due process. Everybody's given uh, equal protection. Nobody is to be, uh, you know, bullied by the state, okay? Uh, so the 14th Amendment, as I read it, doesn't say any more than that. It does not overturn the uh, free white person level of citizenship that was enjoyed by white people up until this point in time. But now I'd like to read, and I put the link in the chat room, the uh, description of the 14th Amendment by Congressman Rarick, uh, given in 1967. And uh, he says, and this is Mr. Rarick speaking, Uh, And uh, this is from uh, the Congressional Record, page 15641, um, the U.S. House of Representatives, June 13, 1967, Mr. Rarick, Democrat from Louisiana, in which he states, The 14th Amendment, Equal Protection Law, or Tool of Usurpation, (laughs) okay, by using confusing language, and applying that language uh, with legalese and uh, politicese, uh, uh, politicianese, whatever you want to call it, false interpretations and self-serving interpretations for the benefit of whoever created this 14th Amendment. And my opinion is that the 14th Amendment was uh, conscripted or consigned uh, uh, commissioned, that's the word I'm looking for, commissioned by the Rothschilds, and they used several of the the, the Eastern Seaboard Democrats, th- those who were uh, basically pro, uh, 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 what's the, they were anti-slavery, of course. They were also anti-union, many of them. But they wanted to give blacks the right to vote. They wanted to give blacks equal citizenship, contrary to the law of the land. Okay, And uh, the Dred Scott decision, which I quoted from profusely last week, simply upholds that, that logic, that reasoning from the founding documents of our Constitution, Okay, and even the Declaration of Independence. So the radical abolitionists were the ones funded by the Rothschilds to agitate against the Constitution, both before, during, and after the Civil War. Okay, So Mr. Rarick, at the request of Mr. Pryor, was granted permission to extend his remarks at this point in the record and to include extraneous matters. Mr. Rarick, speaking. Mr. Speaker, Arrogantly ignoring clear-cut expressions in the Constitution of the United States, the declared intent of its drafters notwithstanding, 
Our unelected federal judges read out prohibitions of the Constitution of the United States by adopting the fuzzy haze of the 14th Amendment to legislate their personal ideas, prejudices, theories, guilt complexes, aims, and whims, not, not to mention conspiracy. Through the cooperation of intellectual educators, we have subjected ourselves to accept destructive use and meaning of words of phrases. Well, we've come across that when trying to interpret the Bible, haven't we? We blindly accept new meanings and changed values to alter our traditional thoughts. That's what the 14th Amendment accomplished, folks. Okay. So, he... Further down, I'm just going to scroll down. A concurrent resolution to expose the unconstitutionality of the 14th Amendment to the Constitution of the United States, to interpose the sovereignty of the state of Louisiana against the execution of said amendment in this state, to memorialize the Congress of the United States to repeal its joint resolution of July 28, 1868, declaring that said amendment had been ratified, and to provide for the distribution of certified copies of this resolution. Okay, so he's stating that it still is in the form of a resolution. It was never ratified, is what he is saying. Whereas the purported 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution was never lawfully adopted in accordance with the requirements of the United States Constitution, because 11 states of the Union were deprived of their equal suffrage in the Senate in violation of Article 5, when 11 southern states, including Louisiana, were excluded from deliberation and decision in the adoption of the joint resolution proposing said 14th Amendment. Said resolution was not presented to the President of the United States. I wasn't aware of that. I thought it was signed. This would have been Grant. Ulysses S. Grant. and Or was it Johnson? Johnson certainly would have never signed it. Grant may have signed such a bill. But let's continue here. Uh, said, said resolution was not presented to the United States in order that the same should take effect, as required by Article 1, Section 7. The proposed amendment was not ratified by three-fourths of the states, but to the contrary, 15 states of the then 37 states of the Union rejected the proposed 14th Amendment between the dates of its submission by, to the states by the Secretary of State on June 16, 1866 and March 24, 1868, thereby nullifying said resolution and making it impossible for ratification by the constitutionally required three-fourths of such states. Said southern states, which were denied their equal suffrage in the Senate, had been recognized by proclamations of the President of the United States to have duly constituted government with all their powers which belong to the free states of the Union. And again, those states have to have free white citizens, okay? And only such citizens can vote, okay? And the legislatures of seven of said southern states had ratified the 13th Amendment, which would have failed of ratification, but for the ratification of said seven southern states. And whereas the Reconstruction Acts of Congress unlawfully overthrew their existing governments, removed their lawfully constituted legislatures by military force, and replaced them with rump legislatures, I like that, rump legislatures, uh, which carried out military orders and pretended to ratify the 14th Amendment. Etc., etc., etc. So that gives you some background on the so called ratification of the 14th Amendment. So Congressman Rarick is telling us it was never 
ratified legally according to the Constitution and therefore cannot be considered law. Nevertheless, nevertheless, our politicians and lawyers and uh, those who are interfering with our government from abroad, such as the Rothschilds, are treating the 14th Amendment as if it were in fact law, ipso facto, but it is not de jure. It is not law. Simply is not law. Okay? Now I wanted you to understand it as I continue. So, last week I left off in the middle of Ed Arlt's uh, deposition here to uh, regarding the state of Texas. And uh, I read through the state of Texas, how it came into being, how it came into being as a republic... Uh, initially as part of Mexico because the the nation of Mexico had invited these white people from the United States of America into that territory, now known as Texas, to settle there and develop it, etc. But Mexico was experiencing a series of revolutions which destabilized the country and made it impossible for the people of Texas to do business with the rest of Mexico, and and because there was one revolution, you know, one coup after another, I should say, one coup after another with a lot of Freemasonic in, involvement, and it was actually run by Spaniards, <laughs> Spaniards, and and in a couple of cases Germans. So the idea that Mexico was a sovereign state of Mexican people was just a fiction, just like COVID is a fiction. Okay, so the citizens of Texas, the Republic of Texas, declared their independence and said there's no way that these Mexicans can get their act together. Uh, It's just impossible to deal with these people. We're declaring our independence. And in in consort with the U.S. Constitution, they declared that every citizen of Texas must be a free white person, okay? To to summarize what we were talking about last week. And uh, I quoted uh, from the Laws of Texas, Volume 1, pages 1063 to 1066. It bears repeating here. This is from page 29 of Mr. Arlt's document. Quote, that is the Mexican government, such that it was, has demanded us to deliver up our arms, which are essential to our defense, the rightful property of freemen, and formidable only to tyrannical governments. It has invaded our country both by sea and by land with the intent to lay waste our territory and drive us from our homes. That's after being invited in by the original Mexican government, which had several coups by this time. It has now a large mercenary army advancing to carry out on against us a war of extermination. And that's what COVID is, folks. COVID is an international war of extermination against the white race. Continuing. These and other grievances were patiently borne by the people of Texas until they reached that point at which forbearance ceases to be a virtue. I think we're at that point with COVID, folks. We then took arms in defense of the national constitution. We appealed to our Mexican brethren for assistance. Our appeal has been made in vain. Though months have elapsed, 
No sympathetic response has yet been heard from the interior. We are, therefore, forced to the melancholy conclusion that the Mexican people have acquiesced in the destruction of their liberty and the substitution, therefore, of a military government, that they are unfit to be free and incapable of self-government. The necessity of self-preservation, therefore, now decrees our eternal political separation. Laws of Texas, Volume 1, pages 1063 to 1066. This language mimics that of the Declaration of Independence, 1776. Continuing now with Mr. Arlt, who says, The Declaration cites a war of extermination being waged by the Mexican government against the Anglo-American population of Texas, distinguishes between Anglos and the Mexican population, concludes that they are unfit to be free and incapable of self-government, and once more cites the right and necessity of self-preservation as justifying the eternal political separation thus declared. But we know today, given the political climate, white people have been declared to not have the right of self-preservation. Our enemies have declared such. So this is a war of extermination upon us. I hope you realize that. The Constitution of the Republic of Texas was adopted on March 17, 1836, and its brief preamble declares its intent and purpose, and I quote, We, the people of Texas, in order to form a government, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense and general welfare, and to secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and to our posterity... This is just like the preamble to the Constitution. Do ordain and establish this Constitution. We, the people of Texas, identifies... uh, Mr. Arlt is, is commenting here again. We, the people of Texas, identifies who formed the government, and they are the same Anglo American colonists as in the Declaration of Independence. To ourselves and our posterity identifies who the intended recipients of the blessings of liberty were to be, and fixes the citizenship to that class and them alone. I don't see how any lawyer can argue against this. That's why they wrote the 14th Amendment to get around the U.S. Constitution and simply make it policy. The 14th Amendment has become policy, but it is not law. It never was law, as I have stated here in my introductory remarks for today's show. The Constitution itself further defines, indicates, and restricts citizenship in the Republic at Section 6, 9, and 10 under the heading of General Provisions, which we will quote here, Section 6, All free white persons who shall emigrate to this Republic, and who shall, after a residence of six months, make oath before some competent authority that he intends to reside permanently in the same, and shall swear to support this Constitution, and that he will bear true allegiance to the Republic of Texas, shall be entitled to all the privileges of citizenship. Now, look what we've got today. People flooding into our country, taking no oath to support our Constitution of the of the federal government or of the states. None of these people have any right to be here. And it's all, all because of the 14th Amendment that the lawyers and politicians are getting away with this stuff. 
Section 9, and I quote, All persons of color who were slaves for life previous to their emigration to Texas and who are now held in bondage shall remain in the like state of servitude provided the said slave shall be bona fide property of the person so holding said slave as aforesaid. Congress shall pass no laws to prohibit emigrants from bringing their slaves into the Republic with them and holding them by the same tenure by which such slaves were held in the United States because all of these people who created Texas were former citizens of the several states to the east. Nor shall Congress have power to emancipate slaves, nor shall any slaveholder be allowed to emancipate his or her slave or slaves without the consent of Congress, unless he or she shall send his or her slave or slaves without the limits of the Republic. No free person of African descent, either in whole or in part, shall be permitted to reside permanently in the Republic without the consent of Congress. And the importation or admission of Africans or Negroes into this Republic, excepting from the United States of America, is forever prohibited and declared to be piracy. This also mimics the law of 1808, which forbade the importation of African slaves from Africa into America. Section 10, all persons, Africans, the descendants of Africans, and Indians accepted, who were residing in Texas on the day of the Declaration of Independence, shall be considered citizens of the Republic and entitled to all the privileges of such. Laws of Texas, Volume 1, pages 1069 to 1080. Again, it makes it very clear that only free white persons are to be citizens. Mr. Arlt continues, Texas joined the Union in 1845. The joint resolution giving the consent of the existing government to the annexation of Texas to the United States was approved by the Ninth Congress of the Republic of Texas on June 23, 1845. The Constitution of the State of Texas was drafted and ratified by the free white people of the Republic of Texas who made the guarantee of perpetual liberty to the white citizens of the soon-to-be state of Texas. Texas was admitted to the American Union under the provisions of the federal constitution on an equal footing with the states already in the Union. Therefore, Texas's constitution would have had to de- designate the same race of people and the same class of citizenship of its people that the existing states had designated as the sovereign body to be admitted into the Union. See Dred Scott v. Sanford, page 407. The Constitution of the State of Texas was adopted by the Convention of the Deputies of the People of Texas on August 27, 1845. Once again, the preamble thereto declared its intent and purpose, and by whom and whose authority it is ordained and established, and we quote, we, the people of the Republic of Texas, acknowledging with gratitude the grace and beneficence of God in permitting us to make a choice of our own form of government, do, in accordance with the provisions of the joint res- re- resolution, for annexing Texas to the United States, approved March 1st, 1845, ordain and establish this Constitution. So, the same class of citizenship obtains in Texas as obtained in the rest of the states. In other words, you had to be a free white person. Mr. Alt continues, its citizenship is declared and defined in accordance with the federal constitution and with the approval of the Congress of the United States by the following passages therefrom. 
Section 1. Every free male person who shall have attained the age of 21 years, and who shall be a citizen of the United States, or who is at the time of the adoption of this Constitution by the Congress of the United States, a citizen of the Republic of Texas, and shall have resided in this state one year next preceding the election, and now last six now and the last six months within the district, county, city, or town in which he offers to vote, Indians not taxed, Africans and descendants of Africans accepted, shall be deemed a qualified elector. Constitution of the State of Texas, 1845. So, and I can tell you that virtually all the states have similar language, although it may not have a, a language excluding blacks and Indians, but it was just a given. <laughs> it was just a given that they would not be citizens of said states. Okay, and Mr. Alt continues, citizenship of both the United States and Republic of Texas being exclusively free white then, these provisions give that same identification to the common law citizenship of the state of Texas. Now, it needs to be pointed out here that the 14th Amendment did not overturn any of this. The constitutional language pre-14th Amendment still stands. 14th Amendment did not uh, make <laughs> t- turn blacks into free white persons, okay? <laughs> it did not do that, okay? So they can't vote. And they didn't vote for over 100 years. It took another act of the Rothschilds and the international Jewry to g- get black people to vote. But nevertheless, this shows that the it was clearly understood in those days that only free white persons could be citizens. And he quotes again from the common law, citizenship of Texas, quote, all free male persons over the age of 21 years, Indians not taxed, Africans in descent of Africans accepted, who shall have resided six months in Texas, immediately preceding the acceptance of this Constitution by the Congress of the United States, shall be deemed qualified electors, Again, no person shall be a representative unless he be a citizen of the United States or at the time of the adoption of this Constitution a citizen of the Republic of Texas and shall have been an inhabitant of this state for two years next preceding the election. And this last year, therefore, thereof, a citizen of the county, city, or town for which he shall be chosen and shall have attained the age of 21 years at the time of his election." Uh, that was section 6 section 11 now no person shall be a senator unless he be a citizen of the United States which means a free white person or at the time of the acceptance of this constitution by the Congress of the United States a citizen of the Republic of Texas etc and finally section 29 the legislature shall at the first meeting and in the year 1848 and 50 and every eight years thereafter, cause an enumeration to be made of all the free inhabitants, Indians not taxed, Africans and descendants of the Africans accepted, of the state, designating particularly the number of qualified electors. Okay, and then Mr. Arlt comments, Kindly remember, in reading these provisions, that the Republic of Texas excluded from its borders all immigrants who were not of the white race, and that the electors of both the Republic and the State of Texas were required to be citizens thereof, being therefore free white only. 
The eighth article of the Constitution pertains to slaves and further illustrates the sovereignty and citizenship of the state of Texas. Quote, Section 1. The legislature shall have no power to pass laws for the emancipation of slaves without the consent of their owners, nor without paying their owners previous to such emancipation. A full equivalent in money for the slaves so emancipated. They shall have no power to prevent emigrants to this state from bringing with them such persons as are deemed slaves by the laws of any of the other states, so long as any person of the same age or description shall be continued in slavery by the laws of this state, provided that such slave be the bona fide property of such emigrants, provided also that the law shall be passed to inhibit the introduction into the state of slaves who have committed high crimes in other states or territories. They shall have the right to pass laws to permit the owners of slaves to emancipate them, saving the rights of the creditors and preventing them from becoming public charge. They shall have full power to pass laws which will oblige the owners of slaves to treat them with humanity, to provide for them necessary food and clothing, to abstain from all injuries to them extending to the life and limb, and in case of their neglect or refusal to comply with the directions of such laws, to have such slave or slaves taken from such owner and sold for the benefit of such owner or owners. They may pass laws to prevent slaves from being brought into the state as merchandise only. So, had to be imported by a, a slave-owning white from another state. Section 2. In the prosecution of slaves for crimes of a higher order than petty larceny, the legislature shall have no power to deprive them of an impartial trial by a petty jury. Section 3. Any person who shall maliciously dismember or deprive a slave of life shall suffer such punishment as would be inflicted in case the like offense had been committed upon a free white person and on the like proof except in case of insurrection of such slave. Again, the the non-whites were treated and the non-citizens of other countries were treated fairly. They were treated fairly. And that's according to biblical law as well. Any sojourners who were traveling through the land of Israel in, in biblical times were not summarily executed for being, for being non-Israelites. They were treated fairly because there were a lot of, especially in the city of Jerusalem, there were a lot of sojourners from other countries, merchants and uh, caravans and such, passing through Israelite territory. They were not harmed by the Israelites just because they weren't Israelites. They were treated fairly. And we are, <laughs> we are commanded by Yahweh to treat everybody fairly. Okay? Even though they are not Israelites, even though they're a part of the chosen, you know who people, not the Jews, us, the Caucasian Israelites. Okay? So, and Mr. Arlt states, thus, it is obvious that the people of the Republic of Texas ordained and established the Constitution of the State of Texas only for men and women of their own race. Yeah, many moons ago. <laughs> it may be truthfully stated that the State of Texas is, in fact, in law, a continuation of the previous Republic of Texas, which has never been supplanted or overthrown. The existence and authority of the state of Texas being predicated upon that of the Republic. In closing this discussion of the de jure citizenship of the state of Texas, 
I need only point to the comp- complete harmony of this Constitution to that of the Union of the United States. Okay, that ends point number six in Mr. Arlt's document, which consists of seven points. So I will now proceed with point number seven. And we might get through this document today. I'm going to give it a try. It's a total of 45 pages. No, 47 pages. And uh, 50, uh, approaching on 50. And I'm on page 34. So let's give it a shot. We may have to do another uh, show on this subject. But we might get through it today. Point number seven. The 14th Amendment did not and cannot destroy the de jure citizenship, which means the lawful citizenship. And the language of the 14th Amendment does not destroy that. Simply does not. Makes no mention of free white persons. But it does declare that anybody born in the, within the territory of the United States, if we assume it's the contiguous states at the time, and not just the District of Columbia, and it says that they, that those citizens, those people will have rights, okay. But uh, they have those rights anyway, as the Constitution of Texas simply declared that we will, we the free white people of Texas, will not mistreat anybody. So I don't see that the Fourteenth Amendment really created anything that that wasn't what is what is the language is doing is it's creating a second class of citizenship to which white people now have been subjected against the Constitution. That's what the 14th Amendment, in my opinion, was designed to do, and that's how it's been carried out. So let's continue. Let me repeat his point number seven. The 14th Amendment did not and cannot destroy the de jure citizenship, that is, the common law constitutional citizenship of free white persons. One part of the Constitution cannot contradict nor overthrow another. It has to be done by amendment. It has to be ratified. And the the, uh, provision that's being overthrown has to be clearly stated that this is being overthrown or uh, being undone. Quote, But it clearly results that the proposition and the contentions under it, if acceded to, would cause one provision of the Constitution to destroy another. This result would create radical and destructive changes in our constitutional system and multiply confusion. This is quote from Brushhaber versus Union Pacific Railroad Company, 240 U.S. 1,12. Okay, so you cannot have contradictory laws. Mr. Alt comments, the original Constitution and its Bill of Rights are exactly the same today as they were when adopted in 1787 to 1791. Not one word, syllable, or punctuation mark has changed in all of the ensuing years. Those words have the same meaning today that they had then. They can only be construed and extended according to their full historical meaning at the time of the adoption of the Constitution. Perpetual law, perpetual union, the one cannot exist without the other. Quote, we are bound to interpret the Constitution in the light of the law as it existed at the time it was adopted. Unquote. Maddox, that's M-A-T-T-O-X, versus United States, 
156 U.S. 237, 234, sorry, 243. Quote, In this, as in other respects, it, a constitutional provision, must be interpreted in the light of the common law, the principles and history of which were familiarly known to the framers of the Constitution. Minor versus Happerset, 21 Wall, 162. Again, quote, the language of the Constitution, has, as has been well said, could not be understood without reference to the common law. Unquote. First Kent Common, 336. Kepner v. United States, 195 U.S. 100, 126. Quote, In the construction of these instruments, the following rules are usually observed. 1. The practical construction must be uniform. A constitution does not mean one thing at one time and another thing at some other time. 2. The object of construction is to give effect to the intent of the people in establishing the constitution. It is the intent of the lawgiver that is to be enforced. But the intent is to be found in the instrument itself, unquote, from the general principles of constitutional law, Cooley, 3rd edition, Little Brown and Company, 1898, pages 386, 387. And of course, this is just common sense, folks. <laughs> it's just common sense that the words must mean what they say, and if somebody comes along at a later date and has a new interpretation, such as, what, what do they call it? Uh, it's a fluid constitution? Isn't that what Al Gore called it? Oh, I can interpret it to mean whatever I want. Damn the founders. Mr. Arlt continues, Thus, the Constitution cannot be repugnant unto itself. To hold anything contrary is absurd. Amendments to the Constitution cannot be... Hold it, I have to turn the page. Cannot be interpreted so as to nullify or destroy the original intent and purposes of the organic law. So we have organic law, common law, constitutional law, biblical law, they all come from the same source. And, of course, the founders attributed our freedoms, our rights, to Yahweh himself, the Creator, whom they referred to as Providence. The amendment process, pursuant to Article 5, can only refine, clarify, or limit the powers of government and may not infringe upon the intent of the original Constitution. It may not be used to expand the powers of government beyond the original limits defined in the founding document. Have we got government that has expanded beyond its original intent and purposes, its original limitations? Limitations. That's what the federal constitution did. It expressly gave specific powers to the agency... Remember, the federal government is the agency of the states created to do the will of the states, not to rule over the states. Mr. Art continues, The organic law is not subject to change by anything less than a national convention of the people of the states, the very same who ordained and established the Constitution to begin with. The people who comprise the ruling body, sovereign, are of a higher sovereignty than the states, and they, and they alone, are empowered by the same process used to adopt the original Constitution to change the organic law. As I just said, the federal, the federal government is an agency of the several states, and our, uh, the Tenth Amendment 
says it very specifically, whatever powers not granted to the federal government stated herein are reserved to the states and the people respectively, and the states represent the people of that state, and the federal government is supposed to represent the, the states and the people. That's the only way we can have free and representative government, i.e. a republic. So America is the only country on the face of the earth that has been predicated on these principles and, as I, I discussed last week, Christianity. That Christianity is the religion of the land. The only dispute was whether or not there should be a denomination favored by state government, by, by the federal government. And every state has said, no, we're not going to favor any particular denomination of Christianity over any other. In no way, shape, or form does the word religion, as used by the founders, mean anything other than Christianity. Okay, let's continue. The intent of the amendment process as embodied in Article 5 was clearly defined by the first Articles of Amendment and is stated in the preamble to the Bill of Rights to wit, quote, the conventions of a number of the states having at the time of their adopting the Constitution expressed a desire in order to prevent misconstruction or abuse of its powers, that further declaratory, declaratory and restrictive clauses should be added, and as extending the ground of public confidence in the government will best ensure the beneficent ends of its institution, unquote. The foregoing is the definitive clause as to the intent and purposes of the amendment process as set forth in Article 5 of the Constitution. That purpose and intent was further evidenced by the adoption of the 11th Amendment, which clarified and limited the power conferred upon the federal judiciary by Article 3 of the Constitution. And boy, have we had federal judiciary incursions into the affairs of the states and citizens of the states. Incredible, folks. Absolutely incredible. And he states here, Hans versus Louisiana, 134 U.S. 1, 11. It did not, in terms, prohibit suits by individuals against the states, but declared that the Constitution should not be construed to import any power to authorize the bringing of such suits. So I'm not exactly sure to import any power to authorize from one state to another. I'm not sure what the intent of that uh, uh, that ruling is. But uh, it still stands that the Constitution that created the federal agency is to represent the several states and the people of those states and is not to be considered a dominant government over the people. No, it is a agency. They are our servants, not our masters. But we know they have become our masters through sleight of hand, through legalese, and through outright tyranny. Mr. Out continues, The 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments were a radical and unlawful departure from these principles, for they purport, at the behest of Congress, to bestow powers not contemplated by the founding law upon Congress. With the 14th Amendment, Congress declared itself capable of creating its own citizens of a class and nature unique and subservient to Congress itself. So this is exactly a violation of the Constitution, these three amendments. 
These amendments pertain solely to the non-white races and other artificial statutory persons who were and are, quote, subjects of the United States and not a part of the sovereignty. So here he uses the word sovereignty because a sovereign citizen, a de jure citizen, common law citizen, constitutional citizen, they're all the same. They are the free white persons of the several states. Quote, The 13th Amendment is a great extension of the powers of the national government. Unquote. United States versus Morris, 125 Federal Republic, 132, 322, 325. Quote, We repeat then, in the light of this recapitulation of events, almost too recent to be called history, but which are familiar to us all, and on the most casual examination of the language of these amendments, no one can fail to be impressed with the one pervading purpose found in them all, lying at the foundation of each and without which none of, the, uh, none of them would have even been suggested. We mean the freedom of the slave race, the security and firm establishment of that freedom, and the protection of the newly made freemen and citizen from the oppressions of those who had formerly ex exercised unlimited dominion over him. It is true that only the 15th Amendment in terms mentions the Negro by speaking of his color and his slavery, but it is just as true that each of the other articles was addressed to the grievances of that race and designed to remedy them as to the 15th. I'm sorry, yeah, the 15th. We do not say that no one else but the Negro can share in this protection, assuming that this protection is actually uh, legit. Both the language and spirit of these articles are to have their fair and just weight in any question of construction. Undoubtedly, while Negro slavery alone was in the mind of the Congress which proposed the 13th article, it forbids any other kind of slavery now or hereafter. Uh, what about economic slavery? by bankers. If Mexican peonage or the Chinese coolie labor system shall develop slavery of the Mexican or Chinese race within our territory, this amendment may safely be trusted to make it void. Unquote. This is the Slaughterhouse Cases, 83 U.S. 395-407. Okay. None of this language, however, overturns the Constitution, as originally stated. But the the comments here are right on the money. What this has created is it has created a quasi-government giving the federal government powers which it no, did not have before the Constitution was written, or after it was written. So it's it's clearly unconstitutional, and as, as Mr. Rarick stated, it was never properly ratified, and it was never signed by the president. So therefore, it's null and void. Mr. Arlt continues, Kindly note that in listing other races who can share in this protection, the white race is not included. Okay? Oh, now we've become second-class citizens. Have we not? Page 37. Quote, on the other hand, there is a significant historical fact in all this. Clearly, one of the purposes of the 13th and 14th Amendments and of the 1866 Act 
and of paragraph 1982 was to give the Negro citizenship, unquote. Jones versus Alfred H. Meyer Co- Company, 379 Fed 33, 1967, comma, 43. Well, that was the intent, but it didn't say, say that. The object of the 14th Amendment, as is well known, was to confer upon the colored race the right of citizenship, unquote, United States versus Wong Kim Ark, 169 U.S. 649, comma, 692. Again, another quote, It would be a remarkable anomaly if the national government without this amendment could confer citizenship on aliens of every race or color, and citizenship with civil and political rights on the inhabitants of Louisiana and Florida without reference to race or color, and cannot, with the help of the amendment, confer on those of the African race who have been born and always lived within the United States all that this law seeks to give them, unquote, United States versus Rhodes, 27 Federal Case 785, comma, 794, ruling in 1866. Uh, subsequent court cases have all confirmed that the, the original language of the Constitution still pertains, but the courts have recognized another type of court, a non-common law court, which we know as commercial court. And I'm sure that was the purpose of the Rothschilds in instigating the 14th Amendment, is to create, you can call it maritime law, you can call it commercial law, it's not constitutional law, it's not common law. It is something that has been superimposed over our common law, our biblical rights, by the international Jew. There's no doubt about this. A couple more quotes. The amendment referred to slavery. Consequently, the only persons embraced in its provisions and for which Congress was by it authorized to legislate in any manner were those then in slavery. Unquote. Bolin versus Commonwealth. 65 Kent Representative 5, 29, ruling in 1867. Continuing, quote, The only question, therefore, left for determination is the constitutionality of Section 1 of the Civil Rights Act of April 9, 1866. Nothing in the Constitution of the United States as originally adopted or in any of the first 12 amendments to that instrument adopted shortly after the ratification of the Constitution would warrant the enactment of this act by Congress, unquote. United States versus Morris, 125 Federal uh, Representative 322, uh, ruling given in 1903. Okay, so the unconstitutionality of the 14th Amendment in the three in question, 13th, 14th, and 15th, is for is assured. It's not constitutional. Nevertheless, it is ipso facto practiced by the politicians and the lawyers here in America. We have to challenge their usurpation of our Constitution. It is claimed, quote, it is claimed that the plaintiff is a citizen of the United States and of this state. Undoubtedly she is. It is argued that she became such by force of the first section of the 14th Amendment, already cited. This, however, is a mistake. It could well be claimed that she became free by the effect of the 13th Amendment, by which slavery was abolished, 
for she was no less a citizen than she was free before the adoption of either of these amendments. No white person owes the status of citizenship to the recent amendments to the federal constitution. Okay? Let me repeat this. No white person owes the status of citizenship to the recent amendments of the federal constitution. We already were free white citizens of the states and therefore of the country. So we got nothing out of this deal. But a lot of confusion and usurpation. The history and aim of the 14th Amendment is well known, and the purpose had in view its adoption, in its adoption, well understood. That purpose was to confer the status of citizenship upon a numerous class of persons domiciled within the limits of the United States who could not be brought within the operation of the naturalization laws because native-born and whose birth, though native, had at the same time left them without the status of citizenship. They are not constitutional citizens. Period. These persons were not white persons, but were in the main persons of African descent who had been held in slavery in this country, or if having themselves never been held in slavery were the native-born descendants of slaves, unquote. This is from Van Valkenburg versus Brown, 43, I think it's California Supreme Court, 43,47,1872. So, even after the adoption of the 14th Amendment, well, it wasn't adopted, it wasn't passed. The implementation of the 14th Amendment. Whites, being already in full possession of substantive citizenship, were unaffected by this limited... Well, (laughs) we were affected. Uh, We were... uh, uh, (laughs) How should I put it? We were set at, at a lower standard. The intention of it was to set us at a lower standard. The adoption of the, quote-unquote, adoption of these amendments did nothing to affect the status of free white persons. They were still citizens of their respective states and were still exclusively members of the reigning body sovereign, which status Congress could not confer upon its own newly created class of entities called citizens of the United States. Okay, so what the, what the 14th Amendment did was create a federal class of citizens. Now competing with the de jure constitutional free white person. Quote, The amendment reversed and annulled the original policy of the Constitution, which left it to each state to decide exclusively for itself whether slavery should or should not exist as a local institution, and what disabilities should attach to those of the servile race within its limits. The whites needed no relief or protection, and they are practically unaffected by the amendment, unquote, United States versus Rhodes, at uh, page 794. But we, we were demoted. We were definitely demoted in the eyes of the contrivers of the 14th Amendment. Quote, the rights of citizens of the state, as such, are not under consideration in the 14th Amendment. They stand as they did before the adoption of the 14th Amendment and are fully guaranteed by other provisions, unquote. So that is the rights of the state citizen. United States versus Anthony, 24, Federal Case 829, 
and 830-1873. Another quote, As appears upon the face of the amendment as well as from the history of the times, this was not intended to impose any new restrictions upon citizenship or to prevent any persons from becoming citizens by the fact of birth within the United States, who would thereby have become citizens according to the law existing before its adoption. Unquote. United States versus Wong Kim Ark at page 676. So it is very common, and I've heard many non-whites state that because I was born here, I am now an American citizens with, with, citizen with all the rights of the natural citizens and naturalized citizens of America. That is not true. It is simply not true. And this is true internationally. Every nation on the face of the earth has similar laws by which they, the, the people of that country, determine who can enter, who can become a citizen, and what not. Okay? And since the 14th Amendment did not confer citizenship on blacks, upon blacks, nor did it, does it say anything about voting rights, they still don't have the right to vote. Uh, but I haven't considered the, uh, I think it was 1965, Equal Rights Amendment, so-called. One more quote here. It is quite clear, then, that there is a citizenship of the United States and a citizenship of a state. This is what the 14th created two classes of citizenship which are distinct from each other and which depend upon different characteristics or circumstances in the individual of the privileges and immunities of the citizens of the United States and of the privileges and immunities of the citizen of the state and what they respectively are will presently con- we will presently consider but we wish to state here that it is only the former which are placed by this clause under the protection of the federal constitution, that is, the so-called federal citizens under the 14th Amendment. Okay, the federal constitution, so-called. But as I said earlier, this the 14th Amendment was never properly ratified, and it was not signed by any president. So it's not law. And that the latter, whatever they may be, are not intended to have any additional protection by this paragraph of the amendment. Unquote. Yeah, so white people did not get any additional rights as a result of the 14th Amendment. This is from the Slaughterhouse Cases at page 408. So Mr. Arlt is documenting the, the, the extent of the 14th Amendment and its, and its unconstitutional, unconstitutionality vis-a-vis all law preceding it, quote, there can be no doubt that the civil rights sometimes described as fundamental and inalienable, which before the war amendments were enjoyed by state citizenship and protected by state government, were left untouched by this clause of the 14th Amendment, unquote. Twining versus New Jersey, 211 U.S. 78 and 96. So, as I said earlier, it has not changed the status of free white persons legally. But in effect, as a matter of policy, we have been demoted. We have been demoted. Next next quote. After the adoption of the 13th Amendment, a bill which became the first Civil Rights Act was introduced in the 39th Congress, the major purpose of which was to secure to the recently freed Negroes all the civil rights secured to white men. 
none other than citizens of the United States are, were within the provisions of the act, unquote. Hague versus CIO, 307 U.S., 496 and 509. The constitutional rights of the white race were used as the standard in determining the privileges and immunities of the 14th Amendment citizens. However, said rights were not conveyed to them verbatim nor in total. Much, if not all, of the Bill of Rights was excluded from their access. So, our de jure rights still exist. However, the federal government wants to deny us our natural citizenship rights. And they have been doing this for decades. Thanks to the 14th Amendment and the connivance of the international Jew, lawyers, politicians, etc. Quote, In United States versus Cruikshank, 1 Woods 308 and 319, the question before the court was the constitutionality of the Enforcement Act, which Mr. Justice Bradley declared to be unconstitutional, as an authorized assumption of power by Congress under the 14th Amendment. But in referring to the Civil Rights Act in this cause, in this cause involved, expressing the following opinion. Okay, so what does the... Which, uh, which case... Uh, this is a later... It's a later case, I think. Let me continue. It was supposed that the eradication of slavery and involuntary servitude of every form and description required that the slave should be made a citizen and placed on an entire equality before the law with the white citizen. But, of course, it says no such thing. 14th Amendment doesn't say any such thing. And, therefore, that Congress had the power under the amendment to declare and effectuate these objects. The form of doing this by extending the right of citizenship and equality before the law to persons of every race and color, except Indians not taxed, and of course, accepting the white race whose privileges were adopted as the standard. Unquote. This ruling is the United States versus Morris at page 327. So it's obvious that the intent was to give blacks and other non-whites citizenship and equal rights but it doesn't say that. <laughs> the 14th Amendment doesn't say that. It certainly did not give them suffrage or the right to vote. Quote, The privilege or immunity asserted that the slaughterhouse cases was the freedom to per- pursue a common business or calling alleged to have been infringed by a state monopoly statute. It should not be forgotten that the court, in deciding the case, did not deny the contention of the dissenting justices that the asserted freedom was in fact infringed by the state law. It rested its decision rather on the ground that the immunity claimed was not one belonging to persons by virtue of their citizenship. It is quite clear, the court declared, that there is a citizenship of the United States and a citizenship of a state. Again, two classes of citizenship. And ipso facto, We natural citizens have been treated like denizens by the creators of the 14th Amendment. Let me repeat that there is a citizenship of the United States and a citizenship of a state which are distinct from each other and which depend on different characteristics in the individual 
quoting an earlier ruling, and it held that the protection of the Privileges and Immunities Clause did not extend to those fundamental rights attached to the state citizenship, which are peculiarly the creation and concern of state governments, and which Mr. Justice Washington, in Corfield v. Coriel, mistakenly thought to be guaranteed by Article 4, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution. The privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States, as this is the 14th Amendment citizen now, it was pointed out are confined to that limited class of interests growing out of the relationship between the citizen and the national government created by the Constitution and federal laws. That limitation upon the operation of the Privileges and Immunities Clause has not been relaxed by any later decisions of this court, unquote, Hague versus CIO, at page 520, note 1. Mr. Art comments here, Those fundamental rights spoken of are the common law rights of the free white sovereignty of the states as partially enumerated in the first eight articles of the Bill of Rights. Those rights, being absolute and reserved to the free white sovereignty, are not secured to the citizens of the United States. That is, 14th Amendment citizens. They don't have that those rights, and the 14th Amendment doesn't give it to them. And are not within the purview of the 14th Amendment. So what does the 14th Amendment do? It doesn't do anything legally. It just establishes a policy for all of these crooks and corrupt officials. That's what it does. Quote, Upon that ground, appeals to this court to extend the clause beyond the limitation have uniformly been rejected. That is, Negroes claiming the rights of citizenship have been rejected. They cannot be state citizens as given by the Constitution. They simply cannot. And even those basic privileges and immunities secured against federal infringement by the first eight amendments have uniformly been held not to be protected from state action by the Privileges and Immunities Clause. In other words, the states can still deal with non-whites as they please. The reason for this narrow construction of the clause and the consistently exhibited reluctance of this court to enlarge its scope has been well understood since the decision of the slaughterhouse cases. If its restraint upon state action were to be extended more than is needful to protect relationships between the citizen and the national government, and if it were to be deemed to extend to those fundamental rights of person or property attached to citizenship by the common law and enactments of the states when the amendment was adopted, such as were described in Corfield and Coriel, it would enlarge congressional and judicial control of state action and multiply restrictions upon it whose nature, though difficult to anticipate with precision, would be of sufficient gravity to cause serious apprehension for the rightful independence of local government. Yes. So the courts have ruled time and time and time again that the 14th Amendment does not confer natural state citizenship to non-whites. It has ruled over and over again. Yet... The corrupt politicians pretend that they are. Continuing, that was the issue fought out in the slaughterhouse cases with the decision against enlargement. All right? So the U.S. Constitution does not, even with the 14th Amendment, does not enlarge 
the rights of state citizenship to non-whites. So why are we be t- being treated by sec- like second-class citizens? Why? Because their war has been declared upon our race. It was, it was already declared by the Rothschilds, who funded both sides of the Civil War, and 600,000 of our people were annihilated in that war, while the Rothschilds supported both sides against each other. Clearly, the Civil War was the beginning of this ex- war of extermination against our race. Another quotation. The observation of the court in the United States versus Cruikshank, 92 U.S., 542,551, that the right of assembly was not secured against state action by the Constitution must be attributed to the decision of the slaughterhouse cases that only privileges and immunities peculiar to the United States citizenship were secured by the Privileges and Immunities Clause, and to, the, and to the further fact that at that time it had not been decided that the right was one protected by the Due Process Clause, unquote. Well, that's a, that's a, pro, a due process issue. It doesn't, doesn't talk about state citizenship. It's peculiar to, quote, United States citizenship, as defined by the 14th Amendment. So, but when we go to court, when we go to court, the court presumes 14th Amendment citizenship. So we have to reestablish our state citizenship as free white persons. Barbara Martin accomplished this in Texas, and she no longer had to pay any income tax, real estate tax, whatever tax. And the only mistake she made was when the judge ruled in her favor, he asked her, well, what are your damages? And she said, well, I never thought about damages. I just want to be free, (laughs) right? But she could have been returned all of the false taxes that she paid under, under fraud up until that point in time. And the government would have reimbursed her for all of that. The judge would have ordered her to be reimbursed. But she didn't think of that. She just wanted to be free, as we all want to be free. Okay, let's continue. This is good stuff, folks. Let's continue. But the court added that with respect to the 14th Amendment, there are certain privileges and immunities which belong to a citizen of the United States, that is, the 14th Amendment citizen, as such. Otherwise, it would be nonsense for the 14th Amendment to prohibit a state from abridging them. We agree that there are privileges and immunities belonging to citizens of the United States in that relation and character, and that it is these and these alone which a state is forbidden to abridge. So the state, each individual state, retains its own independence and the independence of its free white citizens. The governments of the United States and of each of the several states are distinct from one another. The rights of a citizen under one may be quite different from those which has under the other, unquote. Colgate versus Harvey. Again, quote, this part of the opinion then concludes with the holding that the rights relied upon in the case are those which belong to the citizens of the states as such and are under the sole care and protection of the state governments. The conclusion is, and 
preceded by the important declaration that the civil rights theretofore appertaining to citizenship of the states and under the protection of the states were not given the security of national protection by this clause of the 14th Amendment, Twining versus New Jersey. Mr. Arch comments, The 14th Amendment citizen has no inherent constitutional right to any of the following way. A. Peaceable assembly. B. Exemption from compulsory self-incrimination. C. Trial by jury in both civil and criminal cases. D. To bear arms. E. Prosecution by indictment of a grand jury. And F. Be confronted with witnesses, among others. They are denizens, not citizens. Okay. They don't have any of these rights. So, why did the Jews, during the McCarthy era invoked the 15th Amendment when many of them were not even citizens. Continuing, quote, the distinction between national and state citizenship and their respective privileges there drawn has come to be firmly established, and so it was held that the right of peaceable assembly for a lawful purpose was not a right secured by the Constitution of the United States, although it was said that the right existed before the adoption of the Constitution under common law. An exemption from the compulsory self-incrimination is a fundamental right inherent in state citizenship and is a privilege or immunity of that citizenship only. Ibid. That's again Twining versus New Jersey. And continuing. The right of trial by jury in civil cases guaranteed by the Seventh Amendment, Walker versus Sovinet, 92 U.S. 90, and the right to bear arms guaranteed by the Second Amendment, Presser v. Illinois, 116 U.S. 252, have been distinctly held not to be privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States. Okay, that is federal citizens. Guaranteed by the 14th Amendment against abridgment by the states. And in effect, the same decision was made in respect to the guarantee against prosecution, except by indictment of a grand jury. So in other words... Federal citizens don't, don't have these protections. And they treat us that way, too, don't they? <laughs> they, they, don't, they don't honor our state right protections. Contained in the Fifth Amendment. Hurtado versus California, 110 U.S. 516. And in respect to the right to be confronted with witnesses contained in the Sixth Amendment. So only state citizens have these rights and privileges. West versus Louisiana, 194, U.S. 258. In Maxwell versus Dow, where the plaintiff in error had been convicted in a state court of a felony upon an information and by a jury of eight persons, it was held that the indictment made indispensable by the Fifth Amendment and the trial by jury guaranteed by the Sixth Amendment were not privileges and immunities of citizens of the United States. That is, Fourteenth Amendment citizens as those words were used in the 14th Amendment. The decision rested upon the ground that uh, this clause of the 14th Amendment did not forbid the states to abridge the personal rights enumerated in the first eight amendments, because these rights were not within the meaning of the clause, privileges, immunities of citizens of the United States. We conclude, therefore, that the exemption from compulsory self-incrimination is not a privilege or immunity of national citizenship, Guaranteed by this clause of the 14th Amendment against abridgment by the states. Okay, so again, ruling after ruling after ruling is telling us that 
the 14th Amendment does not trump state law. Does not trump state law, but has been implemented as such. Mr. Alt comments, What must be added here is that the due process residing within the wording of the 14th Amendment is in accordance with the Roman civil law, Roman civil law, and not the common law. Okay, that's commerce, folks. The 14th Amendment instituted commercial law. That was the intention of the Rothschilds when they induced and bribed and cajoled the radical abolitionists to write this confusing language of the 14th Amendment. So, is in accordance with the Roman civil law and not the common law. It consists of notice and opportunity for hearing and does not require the presence of a judge, jury, or even a judicial proceeding. It may be administered as appropriate to the case at hand and the character of the parties there too. So, any old official of the government can issue some ruling against you and it's over. And that's how judges treat white citizens in America today. This is Roman civil law. It's not common law, folks. Biblical law. Quote, Due process requires that the court which assumes to determine the rights of parties shall have jurisdiction, and that there shall be notice and opportunity for hearing given the parties. Subject to these two fundamental conditions, this court has sustained all state laws, statutory or judicially declared, regulating procedure, evidence and methods of trial, and held them to be consistent with due process of law. Again, the 14th Amendment does not trump state law. It just has been doing so by the policy of these corrupt officials. Continuing, among the most notable of these decisions are those sustaining the denial of jury trial both in civil and criminal cases, the substitution of information for indictments by grand jury, the enactment of the, the possession of policy slips raises a presumption of illegality, etc., etc. In other words, the 14th Amendment does not give these rights and privileges which are confined to states to non-whites. It simply does not do that. Mr. Arlt comments, In this jurisdiction, the state determines what due process shall be allowed and the manner of its administration. Quote, But it is clear that the 14th Amendment in no way undertakes to control the power of the state to determine by what process legal rights may be asserted or legal obligations be enforced. Actually, I would dispute that statement. It, it does influence it, and therefore does undertake. It, under, it tries to undertake that uh, restriction by uh, confusing language. Continuing, provided the method of procedure adopted gives reasonable notice and affords fair opportunity to be heard before the issues are decided. Due process of law guaranteed by the 14th Amendment does not require the state to adopt a particular form of procedure, so long as it appears that the accused has had sufficient notice of the accusation and an adequate opportunity to defend himself in the prosecution. In other words, the states have the the right, the privilege, the opportunity to try denizens or non-white citizens or persons 
in a fair and reasonable manner, but it does not, they don't have these, the same rights as free white citizens. Quote, an accusation is an unsworn allegation. Thus, for citizens of the United States, the fourth the Fourth Amendment requirement for oath or affirmation is circumvented. Oh, this is uh, th- this is technical here. Where is the word accusation? Oh, okay. So long as it appears that the accused has had sufficient notice of the accusation and an adequate opportunity to defend himself in the prosecution. So, and Mr. Arlt uh, comments here, an accusation is an unsworn allegation. Thus, for citizens of the United States, the 14th Amendment requirement for an oath of affirmation is circumvented. So, this uh, it doesn't require this procedure. So, you can't try somebody based simply on an accusation. <laughs> there has to be physical evidence uh, presented that the accusation has to be turned into an allegation. Okay, so an accusation does not, uh, does not suffice. But what Mr. Arlt presumably is saying, and what this ruling apparently says, is that, well, proceedings can can continue even without a formal allegation. And he says, also, pursuant to the Roman civil law and the jurisdiction attaching thereto via the 14th Amendment, a, quote, citizen of the United States, unquote, has no legal basis to claim exemption from compulsory self-incrimination. Okay. So, Roman civil law is a completely different animal from common law, folks. Completely different animal, but that's what's prevailing in our courts today. So, we need to take it upon ourselves, by whatever means necessary, to reestablish our de jure citizenship and come out of Babylon, because this is how Mystery Babylon is ruling over us in these latter days by this uh, you know deceitfully languaged non-legislation it's non-legislation because it's unconstitutional it contradicts the constitution continuing it is impossible to reconcile the reasoning of these cases and the rule which governed their de- decision with the theory that an exemption from compulsory self-incrimination is included in the conception of due process of law. That, uh, yeah, well, it doesn't mention it. Uh, self, it uh, I don't think the 14th Amendment talks about self-incrimination. Indeed, the reason for including indictment by a grand jury and trial by a petty jury in that conception, which has been rejected by this court in Hurtado versus California and Maxwell versus Dow, was historically and in principle much stronger. So, what what the proponents of the 14th Amendment are trying to do is establish a precedent that, oh, that these federal citizens now deserve due process of law in, a, in any state. But these courts are ruling, no, <laughs> that doesn't work. That doesn't work. Continuing. Clearly appreciating this, Mr. Justice Harlan, in his dissent in each of these cases, pointed out that the inexorable logic of the reasoning of the court was to allow the states, so far as the federal constitution was concerned, to compel any person to be a witness against himself. Yeah, 
That's what they're trying to do. In Missouri versus Lewis, 101 U.S. 22, Mr. Justice Bradley, speaking for the whole court, said in effect that the 14th Amendment would not prevent a state from adopting or continuing the civil law instead of the common law. Well, given the fact that a state court would have the opportunity to use the 14th Amendment in a state court... Why would they? Why would they? They certainly don't have to, but in order to set a precedent. The connivers who created the 14th Amendment would encourage state courts to do this. This dictum has been approved and made an essential part of the reasoning of the decision in Holden versus Hardy and Maxwell versus Dow. The statement ex- excludes the possibility that the privileges that the privilege is essential to due process for it hardly need be said that the interrogation of the accused at his trial is the practice of the civil law okay I think we, he means here the Roman civil law <laughs> right not what we would call so are today's civil courts well yeah today's civil courts appear to be running on Roman civil law, commercial law. Very interesting. Okay, we have about 30 minutes left. And I might just get through this entire document. If, if I don't get to the conclusion, that we'll definitely conclude this series. This is part four of the series on this document by Ed Arlt on the 14th Amendment versus the U.S. Constitution. Okay, he says, However, these provisions of the Roman civil law cannot apply to the common law citizenry of the United States. So, the question, ar- the question of jurisdiction arises in any court because, as I understand it, commercial law, and that's what the, the courts of America today operate under is commercial law, not common law, I mean, I have so many people tell me that the court does not recognize common law. This is not a common law court, they are told, thinking that it is a common law court. So, if that's the case, since commercial law requires a contract between party A and B, parties A and B, and you've never signed a contract with your accuser, Remember, under Roman civil law, you don't have, a, have to have a formal allegation. <laughs> the accuser can just drag you into court under Roman civil law. And then you're stuck paying the bill, win or lose probably. And uh, so, again, more and more injustice, injustice piled upon injustice, starting with the 14th Amendment. So it's very important to understand the, the nature of the 14th Amendment and how it has been used or abused against white people. So the, the states, he's quoting, uh, it's a quote from an earlier ruling, I'm not sure which one. The states had guarded the privilege to the satisfaction of their own people up to the adoption of the 14th Amendment. No reason is perceived why they cannot continue to do so. 
right. The 14th Amendment does not abridge the rights of uh, correct state citizens. The power of the, their people ought not to be fettered, their sense of responsibility lessened, and their capacity of sober and restrained self-government weakened by forced construction of the federal constitution. Okay, but it has done so in practice. Mr. Arlt states then, Thus it is apparent that different modes of jurisprudence apply to different persons, status being the determining factor. Are you a free white citizen or not? Of a state or not? Quote, Plaintiffs in error have no just complaint on the basis of any want of due process of law. The 14th Amendment does not profess to secure to all persons in the United States the benefit of the same laws and the same remedies. Unquote, Twining versus New Jersey. Quote, different tribunals for different persons. When the protection of equal laws equally administered has been enjoyed, it cannot be said that there has been a denial of the equal protection of the law within the purview of the 14th Amendment. Only because the state has allowed one person to seek one form and has not allowed another person, asserted to be in the same class, to seek the same form. Although, as to both per- persons, the law has afforded a form in which the same and equal laws are applicable, applicable and administered. This is from the United States Federal Statutes Annotated, Volume 9, page 551. But this is this is not constitutional law. This is 14th Amendment law, okay? This last statement. And Mr. Arlt comments, And it is equally apparent that the privileges and immunities and due process couched in the wording of the 14th Amendment are totally different from that intended by the same wording in the original Constitution and the Bill of Rights. The difference therein is being dictated by the jurisdictions attaching to each respectively. So the 14th Amendment created a separate, a federal jurisdiction. A federal jurisdiction which simply ignores state jurisdiction and in many cases overrules it illegally. Whenever a federal judge, for example in California, when the people of California voted to end uh, illegal immigration from Mexico. Some federal judge went in and just overturned the will of the people of California. You can see now that uh, that decision by that judge was totally unconstitutional, totally illegal, and absolutely unjust. But that's what we have sitting on the bench these days. Okay? It also goes without saying that the federal courts cannot entertain an action that seeks to trespass the jurisdiction of the 14th Amendment into the realm of common law. So the 14th Amendment jurisdiction cannot impinge upon common law. It cannot insert itself. So if you can reestablish your common law citizenship. The courts have ruled in your favor. As Barbara Martin did. They will rule in your favor. You just have to prove, uh, in her case, she proved that she was a free white citizen or descended thereof. And the court recognized that that was the case. 
and she no longer had to pay income tax or property tax, etc. The 14th Amendment and Roman civil law no longer could be imposed upon her. It's great to be free. (laughs) It's great to be free. All of these corrupt politicians and tyrants that have imposed commercial law here in America thanks to the 14th Amendment. You could tell these people to go to hell. Okay, so we were talking about the difference between a constitutional citizen or common law citizen versus a 14th Amendment designated citizen, which is, in fact, it's no better than a denizen, a person with, with no rights. It's just a show, it's a show court is what it is. The common law originating in the state constitutions is superior to the federal jurisdiction. This is a statement by Mr. Arlt. Let me repeat this. The common law originating in the state's constitutions is superior to the federal jurisdiction. Okay? So now you just have to establish your common law rights so that these commercial courts won't be imposing themselves illegally upon you anymore. He further states, it is informative at this point to review the wording of the first section of the 14th Amendment. And here, this is, again, this is very deceptive language, presumptive language, which appears to grant citizenship to freed black slaves, but it really doesn't. Section 1, quote, all persons. So what is a person? What is a person? Before the 14th Amendment, it meant a U.S. citizen. <laughs> because the rights and privileges stated after the word person here were only given to free white persons. But now it presumes to define a person as non-whites included. Let's start over. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. It doesn't say anything about state citizens. So anybody born within the confines of what what is the United States? Is that a, a quasi legal entity? Is it the uh, the number of states existing at the time? They certainly weren't state citizens. So why are you you know giving? Uh, presuming to give rights to people who already have them. You're not giving them anything. Since it doesn't mention slaves, doesn't mention any manumitted people whatsoever, it's obvious what the intention is, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't say any such thing. So, in effect, it states the obvious. If you're assuming that you're a state citizen, that... uh, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, well, subject to the jurisdiction of their own state, are citizens of the United States, yeah, they're they're citizens of their state and of of the several states, but they're not subject to the federal law. The federal government has to bring suit against you. They cannot just issue dictates as they're doing today. 
They cannot simply issue dictates that uh, that are against the Constitution. But this is the pr- true purpose of the 14th Amendment is so that it, it creates this policy of a new class of citizenship. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. Well, no state ever did. <laughs> right? No, no state ever did. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, or deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws, unquote. All right, so within the definition of person, the very word person, as contained in the 14th Amendment, is a deviation from what persons were under, understood to be previous to the 14th Amendment. It's a, it's a sleight of hand. Yes, and then uh, corporations have become persons as well. <laughs> yes, Swamp Fox. But that that was a law, I believe, in 1871. Uh, again, it's an unconstitutional. You know, but yeah, corporations. It's funny. Corporations have rights, but they don't have obligations. <laughs> all right, they have rights and privileges, but the owners of the corporation can't be prosecuted for what the corporations do. So this is, boy, they really flummox the people with that when they define corporations as persons. That was later. That was not part of the 14th Amendment. Although, uh, looking back, you could probably throw all corporations born or naturalized in the United States, you might as well put that in there doesn't change anything in terms of what a true citizen is, a sovereign citizen. Let's continue. The wording of the amendment concerns citizens of the United States and none else. But everybody reading this, the average American reading this, would assume that you're talking about constitutional citizens. Here is the really seductive and devious language of the 14th Amendment because what the average citizen assumes is not what these words mean. This is, these are word games that, that are played by Pharisees, by lawyers, politicians, insurance companies. You know, virtually every corporation in existence today plays by the 14th Amendment. Yeah, and uh, the, uh, calling a corporation a person is just simply amazing to me. <laughs> but that's what they have done. Okay. All right. So, in order for us to come out of Babylon, we have to challenge the system and assert our uh, our rights as a state citizen and I've been telling people, don't use the word sovereign. Don't tell, if a, if a cop pulls you over and says, you know, uh, let's see your identification, and you give that cop your uh, free citizen status, don't use the word sovereign, because you're on, and you know, I, I talked about this last week, you, you will be considered a terrorist if you call yourself a sovereign. So don't use that word. Just call yourself a constitutional citizen. They can't have any objection to that. 
So, but there are cops who will, you know, who, who don't believe in the Constitution. You may just run into one of those. So let's continue here. The 14th Amendment, quote, creates and defines citizenship of the United States. This is a separate category from state citizenship. It had long been contended and had been held by many learned authorities. It had never been judicially decided to the contrary that there was no such thing as a citizen of the United States except as that condition arose from a citizenship of some states. So, you had to be a state citizen first before you could be considered a citizen of the United States. So, the 14th Amendment deems to bypass the state citizenship requirement that was understood previously. No mode existed, it was said, of obtaining a citizenship of the United States except by first becoming a citizen of some state. Unquote. United States versus Antony. Mr. Arlt then comments, What then was the character and nature of this new classification of citizens, quote-unquote, which Congress had created? By the phrase, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof, it may be readily perceived that they are both citizen and subject. Yep, subject which means the government can do with you as it pleases. By contrast, the free white inhabitants of the state... By the way, Brits are subjects. They don't have the rights that we Americans do. Continuing. By contrast, the free white inhabitants of the states are simultaneously citizens and sovereign, and have never been subject to the jurisdiction of the United States. Yeah, because the federal government is our agency, created by us, through our representatives. They are our employees. But the servant has become the master. For being the creators thereof, that is the citizens, the true citizens thereof, how could they be subject to their own creation? Well, well wait a minute. Isn't that circular reasoning? I hired you, and now you're telling me what to do? Shall the servant rule the master? Mr. Art asks. Folks, you see the involuntary servitude that the 14th Amendment has created so by, by legal sleight of hand, by, by shifty language. I think not. And there is a vast difference here between the former and the latter classes of citizenship. Congress has never had and does not now have the authority to legislate directly upon the common law citizens of the states. Thank you very much. However, that is not to say that they may not regulate and control their own. That is, the states can regulate and control their own. Again, you know, and then we have a process in our state governments that when the administration becomes corrupt, we can recall these people. This varies from state to state. 
some states it's easier to do, in some states it's not so easy. But never has the federal government had the right to trump, to simply rule over us as it is doing today. In the previous points expanded and substantiated, it was shown that the status of non-whites, even though ostensibly free, was that of the subject. That is, subject to the goodwill of the free white citizen. As stated in the amendment above, those who must look to that authority for citizenship cannot can attain to nothing else and I would add the word greater, nothing else greater than being a subject. Whether that person be a black person born here in America or a sojourner, etc., etc., the original Constitution does not give them the right to be a citizen of the state. Therefore, they can't be regarded as a citizen of the, the several states taken together as the United States, the true United States, not this legalese language that they have created. A couple more quotes here. Before we can determine whether she was a citizen or not of either of those states, it is necessary to ascertain what it is that constitutes a citizen. In England, birth in the country alone was sufficient to make anyone a subject. Okay, so it's different. Different nations have different laws. What's happening is international law is being forced upon the free white citizens of America. That's what's happening. And, of course, Britain has been ruled by the Rothschilds since uh, 1649. I can't remember the year the Bank of England was created now. Anyway... But Britain hasn't uh, has been ruled by bakers and not not by the by the king or queen for over three hundred years now. They these non-whites can attain to nothing else. Quote: Before we can, de- oh, sorry, in England, birth in the country alone was sufficient to make anyone a subject. But what kind of rights does do subjects have? Even a villain or a slave born within the king's allegiance is, according to the principles of the common law, a subject. That is, if we have a king. But America, we have only one king, that's Jesus. Okay. But it can never be admitted that he is a citizen. Subject, yes. Citizen, no. One may, no doubt, be a citizen by birth as well as a subject. But subject and citizen are evidently words of different import. And it indisputably requires something more to make a citizen than it does to make a subject. It is, in fact, not the place of a man's birth, but the rights and privileges he may be entitled to enjoy, which make him a citizen, unquote. All right? It's not your place of birth. Because you be a citizen of Illinois or Missouri or Arkansas. But who you are is what's important. Ruling given Amy versus Smith. Quote, words could hardly have been used which more strongly marked the line of distinction between the citizen and the subject, the free and the subjugated races. 
unquote. Dred Scott versus Sanford. Quote, they alone are subject to the jurisdiction of the United States who are within their dominions and under the protection of their laws and with the consent, consequent obligation to obey them when obedience can be rendered. And only those thus subject by their birth or naturalization are within the terms of the amendment. The jurisdiction over these latter must, at the time, be both actual and exclusive. In uh, look. Look Tin Sing. So again, it's only by, by the the whim, the fancy of the governing body that controls that, that is operating under the Fourteenth Amendment. So, but what it does is demotes the free white citizen when we accept that jurisdiction. The word dominion means ownership and sovereignty. Quote dominion. Ownership or right to property or perfect or complete property or ownership. Whelan versus Henderson, Texas Civil uh, Application, uh, many numbers following. Title to an article of property which arises from the power of disposition and the right of claiming it. Baker versus Westcott. Sovereignty or lordship as a dominion of the seas. Black's Law Dictionary. So, Dominion and uh, the right to ownership and property, well, those are rights given to us by Yahweh in the Bible, and they were continued for us into common law, thanks to Alfred the Great and Magna Carta and uh, even the Declaration of Arbroath, which uh, states very clearly that the, the Scots who issued that declaration considered themselves to be the descendants of the Israelites that were under Moses way back when. So again, free white persons. No other culture or race has ever even had a concept of a free person. Never even had that concept. Congress having created said citizens of the United States, it would appear that they are property owned and thereby and consequently owe obedience to their sovereign which is the so-called federal government. In contrast, one is here reminded that the common law citizens of the states were not, and are not, creations of the United States, nor are they under the protection thereof, since receiving nothing therefrom, they owe nothing thereto. Yeah, we don't get anything. I mean, the federal government taxes us to death, and this it's taxation without representation all over again, right? They, they tax free white citizens, take our money and give it to blacks so they can destroy our neighborhoods, and give it to illegal immigrants so they can destroy our neighborhoods, and give it to anybody and anybody so they can destroy our neighborhoods and kill us. The fact that the average white person in America doesn't see that this is what's actually going on, that the government is deliberately subsidizing the other races against the white race, the fact that so many white people cannot see that this is what's happening simply amazes me. It simply amazes me. So declaring your uh, true citizenship is of utmost importance. Your free white state citizenship. Very important. Okay, so let's continue. Uh, 
We have in our political system a government of the United States and a government of each of the several states. Each of these governments is distinct from the others, and each has citizens of its own who owe it allegiance, and whose rights within its jurisdiction it must protect. So, if I, if I as a citizen of Illinois, go to Indiana, I'm treated as an equal, but I, I can't vote in Indiana elections, and I can't break Indiana laws. Otherwise, I'm fairly safe in Indiana. I think I'm more safe in Indiana than I am in Illinois. But beside the point, you understand the point. You, you still can't break the laws of the other state. Nevertheless, due respect is given to me as an Illinoisan when I'm dealing with the people in Indiana. But I cannot break Indiana law. Sometimes their laws are different. Sometimes their laws are better. Sometimes they're worse. Let's continue. The same person may be a citizen of the United States and a citizen of a state, but his rights of citizenship under one of these governments will be different from those he has under the other. You're far better off being a sovereign of of a state government, free white citizen, because that's the only type of state citizen there is, free white person. The duty of a government to afford protection is limited always by the power it possesses for that purpose. So, in other words, the 14th Amendment doesn't give me any more rights and privileges than the state of Indiana would ordinarily give me. I still have to obey Indiana law when I'm in Indiana. The duty of a government to afford protection is limited always by the power it possesses for that purpose. It can neither grant nor secure to its citizens any right or privilege not expressly or by implication placed under its jurisdiction. United States versus Cruikshank, 92 U.S. 542. Mr. Arlt continues here. Distinguishing further, we may see that rather than being a matter of natural light, right, the citizenship created and granted by Congress to its own protected class of persons is in the nature of a franchise or license. Okay, well, that would be commercial law. And that's why (laughs) uh, when you're driving your car around, uh, that driver's license actually is a commercial license. Under our Constitution, you don't need a commercial license to use the highways, the roads and highways. Again, that's another factor to be considered. But... uh, for me, in pursuing my uh, U.S. citizenship, my state citizenship, I should say, I just want to be free of these governmental restrictions and unlawful impositions upon my person and my bank account to the federal government and other agencies such as corporations which are working with the government actually control the government So you can see, coming out of Babylon is very, very important. So by whatever means necessary, uh, you should try to reestablish your state citizenship as a free white person. Okay, And uh, we have several people uh, doing that right now. I will keep you updated as to how this process works, the different methods. I'm aware of four or five different methods by which you can establish your free white state citizenship. And that's what you need to do. Okay? And uh, uh, in the meantime, you are subject to the whims and, and persecution 
of international law, because that's what the 14th Amendment really is. It's international law, commercial law, imposed upon our people here in America. First of all, you have to be aware of who you are. If you are a free white person, then you must reestablish that in opposition to the 14th Amendment, because they will continue to harass you just think of the Declaration of Independence, King George harassing the people of the colonies. The King George is back under the name of Rothschild. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you next time. Bye-bye.